When you are in distress, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise We rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save. The King answers when we call. This is the word of the Lord. And to, uh, to set our thanksgiving and our celebratory scene this morning, two of Brian's granddaughters, Imogen and Alana, are going to read a poem written by Daphne Evans, who spent some time convalescing at the old brickyard, the home of Brian Anan. And if you'd like to follow it, it is actually included in your order of service. So if Alana and Imogen would come forward, thank you. Okay, so hopefully you're all at the back of your little books. Um, so the poem is called Thoughts on a Sojourn at the Old Brickyard. Okay. Um, there, was, there was once a house made of bricks that was somewhat out in the sticks. The owners were mad, but not all that bad, though they got up to plenty of tricks. Now the dock was the head of the house, with a strong helping hand from his spouse. He made windows and doors, even parquets of floors. Yes, he surely had plenty of naps. But the project now filling his head is building and painting the shed. It has flushing leaves, perhaps a cellar for boots, perhaps a dungeon for guests, and a set. It reminds me of Animal Farm, but really no cause for alarm. There are dogs, chicks and cats, maybe barn owls and rats, but don't worry, they'll do you no harm. Because this place seems to me a home where all like to be, an oasis of rest where you're treated the best. You get love, you get prayer with your tea. So, God bless this house, I now pray, and grant it his presence each day, that those who live in it will know there's no limit, limit to happiness when God has his way. And I think in the tributes this morning, some of those thoughts expressed in that uh, poem about uh, Brian and uh, the, uh, the old uh, brickyard, Um, are picked up by our contributors. We're going to think of things that are humorous as well as things that are serious. Anne was sharing her thoughts and ideas about the format of today's tributes. 
you'd like about half a dozen people to say what Brian meant to them and how she would like them to be from a variety of people who would reflect the many different aspects of Brian's life and personality. Then she asked me if I'd be willing to take on the role of the, the link person, the link man. In accepting, I said what a great honour and a privilege it would be. Brian meant enormous amount to me. He became one of my best mates and closest friends, with our friendship spanning almost 30 years. How did we meet? Well, it was back in 1981 when the Pierce family moved back to Shropshire and we were looking for a church to join. One Sunday we went to All Saints Wellington and a certain family made us particularly welcome and invited us back to lunch. That was our first taste of Gwilliam hospitality, one of the trademarks of Brian and his family. We seemed to gel as families, finding we had a lot in common and we shared many happy memories together. It was that contact which by a circuitous route led our son Simon to become a chiropractor and eventually joining Brian and Tom as partner at the Centre of Positive Health in Wellington. Now mention the word chiropractor in Shropshire and one man's name comes to mind, Brian William. But how did he become a chiropractor? Giles Cortis, one of Brian's prodigy, will share with us Brian's chiropractic career. To set a scene, one needs to create a picture. I'm going to skip approximately 25 years of Brian's life to the onset of his chiropractic career. Brian had a brother-in-law called Ian Hume, who had graduated from Palmer Chiropractic College in the United States in 1952. Now, there's a story behind that too. Brian's father had previously seen a chiropractor in Stretford, Manchester, for, unfortunately, an angina problem. And this chiropractor was called C.C. Walker. No relation to the Walker-William clan. But nevertheless, the top-rate chiropractor, and he managed to fix Brian's father. And when Ian went to C.C. Walker, following a motorcycle accident, he managed to persuade Ian to change his mind from training as a surgeon to going to the United States and training as a chiropractor. Now, Ian, on returning home, obviously spoke with his brother-in-law, Brian, and Brian, at this stage, was an engineer at Rutter's in Bridge North. And he tried to persuade Brian to drop his engineering career and train as a chiropractor also in the United States. Brian had been told by Ian <clears throat> that if he had had a wife in those days in the States while he was studying, it would have made paying the bills a little easier. 
So, Brian, marry Dan. <laughs> and I'm sure there's more to it than that. Anne was a nurse, and they both moved to the States in 1960. Brian graduated from Palmer Chiropractic College on the 27th of September, 1963. And he always loved telling me that I was one year old at that time. <laughs> Don't forget it, Giles. He returned home to the UK with his wife Anne and one-year-old Rebecca. He set up practice in Wellington, Shropshire, and Brian immediately joined the British Chiropractic Association in the November of 1963. And he was member number 177. Brian built a successful practice and he was always interested in furthering his knowledge of chiropractic techniques, studying initially applied kinesiology. Brian became the president of the British Chiropractic Association in 1979 and continued until 1981. During these years, Brian and a group of other influential chiropractors had the vision to purchase the current premises of the Anglo-European College of Chiropractic in Parkwood Road, Bournemouth, and they moved the college, which was started in 1963, there's some dates here, aren't there, that are tying up, which was started in Cavendish Road. So the college officially opened its doors on the 21st of May, 1982, the second year of my college degree. Now, in 1985, 22 years after graduating from chiropractic college, Brian became a founder member of a technique group called the Sacro-Occipital Technique Organization of Europe. And after another 11 years of study and hard work, 11 years, he, with his study buddy, Esther Venn, took their cranial, the pinnacle of the SOT world, the cranial exam called the International Craniopathic Board. And he made a board-certified craniopath in Omaha, Nebraska, back in the States, on the 19th of October, 1996. Brian became Vice President of SOTA Europe in 1997, and he was Chairman of our Education Committee for many years. Brian, again along with like-minded colleagues, shaped the examination procedures and protocols for the Sacro-Occipital Technique Organization, which we've shortened to SOTO. He shaped the procedures and protocols for SOTA Europe that we still have in place today, almost 15 years later. Brian has both lectured in the United Kingdom extensively and in Paris throughout Europe on many of the subjects and facets of sacro-occipital technique 
over the years. Brian was a fair but firm committee member and he taught me restraint over the years with his skill for diplomacy. However, he never suffered fools gladly. During all this time, Brian was developing and growing his practice into the legacy of what we have today. In total, Brian shaped 14 of us chiropractors personally and countless others who he inspired to become chiropractors. I was privileged to be number three on the list and feel extremely honoured to have had Brian as a mentor and a friend. Brian was loved the world over and through his association with the worldwide SOT group, there are, I know, many notes of condolence that we have received for him. Brian eventually became president of SOTA Europe in the March of 2003. However, his tenure was cut short by an unfortunate car accident that he had, and he moved to the immediate past president later that year and stayed as immediate past president for the next few years. Brian never stopped. With the College of Chiropractors being set up, in 1999, Brian was awarded a fellowship of the college. And then, because he was a craniopath, he was awarded a fellowship of the cranial faculty in 2001. And I suppose the pinnacle of Brian's British Chiropractic Association membership was he was awarded a fellowship of the British Chiropractic Association in 2005. I last saw Brian in January of this year at the first SOT conference in Solihull. <clears throat> he was again present with now his mobile version of his plumb line distortion analyzer. I remember vividly him asking me to flog the two of them for a special one-off seminar price. <laughs> the memory of Brian will always live on to me and all of us as being an extremely honest and skillful chiropractor whose dedication in adjusting subluxations never ceased to amaze me. May that dedication and honesty touch us all. Thank you, Brian. I always felt that uh, when I was being treated, I was privileged to be treated by such an expert. And certainly, Giles has spelt out a very distinguished career of Brian. But he, just, uh, he wasn't just a chiropractor. I remember him once telling me, or was it a lecture? What, what, what a close connection there was between chiropractic and mechanics. Brian had an incredible skill with his hands and also a very musical ear. Some long-standing family friends, Peter and Rachel Norman, will now tell us more about this.
My first meeting with Brian and Anne was through a series of remarkable circumstances in which Selwyn Morgan, another of Brian's brother-in-laws, played a large part back in the summer of 1970. As a result of that meeting, not only of how our families become great friends, but also, very significantly, my sister Esther Venn was launched into her career as a chiropractor. Uh, this is the Esther that subsequently be- became his study buddy. I hadn't heard that term before. <laughs> I like it. Four years later, in 1974, Peter entered my scene and became a part of a gang of us who regularly climbed in Snowdonia. Brian and Anne lived rather conveniently between our hometown Reading and Snowdonia. So we'd use them as a pit stop for soup and toast on the way home. I will always remember the wonderful smell of soup and toast as we were coming back rather late on the Sunday. Not actually that Brian had anything to do with soup and toast, but (laughs) what also uh, comes to my mind is whenever we turned up, and sometimes it was really late, we always got a wonderful warm welcome from Anne and Brian. Brian introduced us to chiropractic, uh, which we'd never heard of before, but which has since become a very important part of our lives. He sponsored Esther through college, and when she moved to Maidstone to set up her own practice, Peter and I helped her establish the Maidstone Chiropractic Clinic, in which we still play a significant part. The subject of chiropractic, as I was thinking about it, um, reminded me of Brian's kind-heartedness and generosity. Now, I, as I already gathered uh, along with some of you, uh, need a chiropractor from time to time. It was actually Brian who uh, discovered that I had, uh, I've just got to look at this, asymmetrical facets, which I'm quite sure some of you won't have any clue to. I know some of you know what that is. Often when we went to visit Brian and Anne at the weekend, uh, before we set off home on a Sunday afternoon, the time when most people would like to just put their feet up and have a rest, Brian would take me down to the clinic for an adjustment. He was a man who went the second mile and more. Another occasion that highlighted Brian's generosity was when On learning that five of my family were needing to take two cars to tour Scotland, he suggested that we take his land cruiser instead and all travel together in the one vehicle. Because of this, it became one of our most enjoyable and memorable holidays. During the time that I have known Brian, he always had two cars. A useful car, like a Range Rover or a land cruiser, and a fast car (laughs) which always had a little bit more under the bonnet than other cars of the same make. (laughs) Brian wisely never actually allowed me to drive any of his fast cars (laughs) but he took great delight in demonstrating their capabilities to me. And I think, you know, considering the fact that Brian would happily drive the length and breadth of the country to help people. It was very thoughtful of him to have a fast car. (laughs) Now, we've already seen a picture of his workshop. 
And if you have been to the Anne and Brian's house, you might have spotted the workshop. <laughs> I think, actually, it could well be used um, as a location marker by airline pilots as they line themselves up for Birmingham Airport. Some of you have seen it. It's huge. But in this workshop, it's just about everything needed to do any job. But I'm sure that many of those jobs, if not most, have been done in the workshop by Brian for other people. Maybe just have a quick look. And I didn't know about this. Have a look at that. The sound desk over there has woodwork around it. That's the quality of Brian's work. And that's the sort of thing that Brian would be doing without anyone really realising about it. Yes, he was always happy to give his time and talents to help someone else. It's yes. something that we always remember, him, remember about him. Another of Brian's interests that I personally shared was his love of music. One of the highlights of our visits to their house was relaxing with him in the evenings, listening to something or other from his vast collection of music. Now, Brian never did anything by halves, as we know, so was as knowledgeable about music and musicians as he was about any of his interests. Being an incurable perfectionist, quality of sound was important to him, whether vocal or instrumental. To this end, he'd always invest in the best equipment available, and the speakers were an all-important feature here. It seemed to me that his ultimate test of speakers was how a piano sounded through them. I'm sure my ear was never quite as keen as his, but I did appreciate the depth and clarity of sound that he managed to achieve. His interest lay chiefly in the classical realm, though I remember his fascination when I produced a record of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> I, I do believe, however, the interest there lay more in the technology that produced the effects <laughs> than in the music itself. So I wind up with a final thought. Quality of sound having been so important to Brian, I can think of nothing more wonderful than being surrounded by the music of heaven, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with him in the fullness of time. And Rachel... Doesn't it uh, strike you when you hear uh, what they just shared with us? Uh, Brian's generosity. Not just generosity of material things, of the possessions, but also generosity of spirit. And in her conclusion, Rachel alluded to Brian's faith. And he was unashamedly a Christian. He was brought up a strict brethren, in, a, in a strict brethren family. And he had to sort out for himself what faith in God meant to him. Being a member of a church of a, 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 was part of maintaining his faith. And Brian was a regular member of a house group or a, a cell group as they're known here at Christchurch. Bert Wood, who was Brian's cell group leader, a patient and a friend of 40 years standing, will share what Brian meant to him. Thank you, Bert. I find it a great privilege and honor to be able to offer a tribute to our dear brother Brian 
who's uh, heeded the, the high call to glory ahead of us all. Over 40 years, it's over 40 years since Brian and Anne moved to Wellington to commence his professional career, and they joined us at All Saints Church, where we became close friends together. Over those many years, I have come to know the wonderfully gifted and special man who set his sights on success in a profession which at that time wasn't universally accepted in this country. And uh, at the same time, their family was started. His total dedication and huge physical energy was breathtaking. He humped heavy x-ray machines around and made all sorts of equipment to, for passing on. But this was the pattern of achievement and determination which uh, Brian had for success, and we, we witness it today. Over many years, I've experienced Brian's reassuring and confidence-building words before treatment, and came to recognize that he had healing hands. A few years ago, I suffered desperate problems with back pains. I couldn't sit down, I couldn't lie down without being in total agony. And I went to specialists and had umpteen x-rays and uh, therapies of all sorts. But there were no results at all. And their final conclusion was that I would have to have major surgery. I was desperate at the time. And uh, I went to Brian for advice. And uh, after examining me for a while, he said, I'm 98% certain that I can put you right. And sure enough, he did. And it's now some years since that, yeah, that treatment. And I can honestly say that I've not had a twinge since. But Brian was an all-rounder. Whatever he put his hands to had to be near perfect. He was an accomplished metal worker, and he was also a, a cabinet and joinery man as well. And you'll see some of this evidence of his um, workmanship around here. With these skills, he helped many folk. And one hears of wonderful testimonies today of his uh, generosity and help. Brian was a wonderful character, a committed Christian, a dedicated family man, and one of God's gifts to us all. Our prayers and support will go to Anne and the family at this time. She's been a faithful partner for so many years, and um, hospitality and generosity have been um, worked well together. And finally, I would say that Brian has passed away from us all, but I believe that he still speaks and will forever. For, for Brian, being married to Anne meant having Selwyn, that's husband of Anne's sister Jan, as a brother-in-law. Fortunately, the Williams and the Morgans got on very well. Selwyn says he and Brian were like brothers. So next, Selwyn will pay tribute to Brian as a family member. Mm. 
My family bond with Brian was made over 50 years ago when he married Ann Walker in 1960 and I married Jan Walker in 1961. I met Brian and his family when I visited Jan in Bridgenorth during our courting days. We often had gatherings in the Gwilliam home under the loving care of Brian's dear mother. In this early period, Brian and I had a very embarrassing and uncomfortable encounter. One night, he and I both stayed with the walkers in Kingsley Farm. Sharing a bed with him did not at first <laughs> seem to present any problem. However, the fact that I am a very wriggly sleeper and that Brian at that time had a full-length plaster on his broken leg <laughs> made for some painful encounters and clashes during the night. As you now know, Brian loved driving cars. When their relationship began to blossom, Brian took on the task of teaching Anne to drive. I remember uh, the fear and the thrill when Anne described what she had been through. Because on one occasion, and it may have, may have been several, Anne only had control of the steering wheel. <laughs> and Brian had control of the clutch, the gears, the brake, and the accelerator. Brian had often shared with me his longing to be a chiropractor. When the decision was made to study in the USA, Brian and Anne decided to get married and go together. And Brian often told me how much he owed to Anne's love and support during those very tough years. Later, it was so good to get together as families. We used to spend many happy days off with them in Northup House. During these visits, Brian's skill as a chiropractor was a tremendous help to all our family. The children loved Uncle Brian's tickle and click. <laughs> On these occasions, I loved being Brian's assistant, or should I say slave, in his garage. He did the technical jobs on the cars, and I did the dirty jobs. <laughs> Brian introduced me to the wonders of the dirty grease remover, Swarfiga. I have loved the smell of it ever since. <laughs> it was always difficult to beat Brian in word battles, but I did gloat on one occasion when I won. We were cleaning a very dirty car on which we had been working all day. I, of course, had the menial job of washing off all the muck while his lordship did the easy job of hosing off all the dirty de detergent. Sell, said Brian, from his lofty position. Don't you think I am doing this exquirtly? LAUGHTER 
Brian, I said, because here was my moment of triumph. Brian, said I, from my humble position, self-spraise is no recommendation. <laughs> In my pastoral counseling and my pastoral work, Brian helped me tremendously. In a very practical way, he helped me to look at the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. During a period of deep depression, Brian's treatment broke the chain of my inattention, and this was a great help towards my full recovery. I then saw this work out in many other people. With Brian's direct and indirect help and guidance, I would advise people to seek chiropractic help. The results were often amazing, and my counseling then was made much easier after the chains of their inner tensions had been broken as they had in me. There were many of fun times on our joint camping holidays in Cricketh. We also had some happy foursome holidays. But I will concentrate on one particular holiday which for me was very special because it said so much about Brian. Some years before I had been invited to preach in church meetings in the Isle of Lewis. One evening I was invited to dine with a Church of Scotland minister and his family. The meal was disturbed by the non-stop activity of their little hyperactive son. His embarrassed parents said they had not had a good night's sleep for years. I cautiously spoke about Brian and the possible help he could give. They were willing to try anything. I put them in contact with Brian, who by phone took a very close interest in their son. Brian put them in contact with a chiropractic colleague in Aberdeen. A couple of years later, I was invited again to preaching meetings in the Isle of Lewis. Brian and Anne joined Jan and I. My meetings were in the evening, and we were able to tour Lewis and Harris in the daytime. One evening we were invited to dine with the same minister and his family. The change in the behavior of their little boy was amazing. The child was now calm, and they were so grateful for the care love and personal interest Brian had shown them even though he did not know them directly. This was Brian, the caring chiropractor. It was also on this holiday in Lewis that Brian's craftsman's eye came into play. In another home we visited, he observed the fireplace, which was on a raised low shelf along the wall of the living room. Brian noted it and replicated it in the beautiful raised fireplace shelf he built in the lounge of the old brickyard. 
This was Brian, the skilled carpenter. The third memory of that holiday was a meeting in which Brian gave his personal Christian testimony. He spoke so clearly of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was Brian, the humble Christian, and it was the foundation of all that he was. Brian was to me a friend and counsellor, a brother-in-law and a brother in Christ. I thank God for Brian. Thank you, Selwyn. Selwyn's uh, taken us over many years of uh, Brian's life. And uh, we're going to go back further now to the days um, before uh, Brian and Anne were married. So we come to his childhood and his upbringing. And two of his sisters, uh, Ruth and Barbara, are going to share some memories of their brother, Brian as a lad and his early years. Such a lot being said today. It's amazing. But the other day, I'll start where I was writing here. The other day, Rebecca asked me... um, where her father, if I knew where her father Brian was born. My answer was, yes, I was there in the house in Stretford. He was born in the night, and in the morning, Dad came into our bedroom and said, come and see what we have here. I think he was delighted to have another boy, because, well, as you'll hear in a minute, um, in the next room, there was Brian and his cot. I was eight years old, Bernard was twelve, Margaret ten, and Dorothy seven. Barbara arrived four years later to be part of this loving Christian family. Brian has now joined Bernard and Margaret in glory, so we three girls, Dorothy over there, um, are left. Two man- months after Barbara was born, the war broke out. And Manchester was not a very safe place to be. So I think it was in the spring of 1941 when the bombing raids continued, Mum and the younger four of the family went to stay with relatives in the north of Manchester. Bernard and Margaret were working by this time, so they stayed with Dad. Five-year-old Brian didn't think much of school, And one morning I heard him crying while we were lining up to go into school. So I took him home. Not the best thing to do, I learned later. (laughs) However, he did settle eventually, but was never enthusiastic about school, except when making a miniature train with one of his teachers. School reports were not very good at first, but did improve a little later. However, like Winston Churchill, 
when he got the vision of what he wanted to do in his, for his life's work, he went for it with energy and dedication, and we all benefited from his expertise. Not only in chiropractic, but in many practical ways, like his dad and his older brother, he did not please, it did not please Brian if he couldn't deal with an emergency or an alteration in the home. Brian was always very generous with his time and skills, medical and otherwise, and to, to all the family and friends. I think his first job was in a draftsman's office. Then he was called into the army, only to be sent packing after a medical examination. He did very well afterwards, didn't he? <laughs> in October 1952, Dad died also very suddenly while working up in Scotland. As Dad was brought up in Gloucestershire, he always dreamt of going back when he retired. Unfortunately, he never made retirement to fulfil that dream. However, Dorothy went to Shrewsbury to train as a nurse and met Janet Walker, who introduced her to Bridge North and her parents. Dorothy, in turn, infected the rest of the family with her enthusiasm for Shropshire, and although she married before we moved, she inspired Margaret and me to apply for jobs here. Margaret went to teach in Highley, and I, after more training in Bristol, became district nurse, midwife, and health visitor in Bridge North. That is how three girls, Mum and Brian, went, came to Bridge North in 1954 and where Brian was to find his wife, Anne, a precious sister to us all. Anne has now some lovely children and grandchildren, who I know will take care of her. Brian used his skills to bless us and many others, but he was also a good person to be with, not always patient. <laughs> he once said we two were alike as we... Here it comes again. We didn't suffer fools gladly. <laughs> Hopefully, I think we both matured later. Of course, we will all miss Brian, but we would not wish him back from that better place prepared for him. Now is my chance to tell you all the horrid things Brian did to his little sister. <laughs> Like the little model car he pulled to pieces when I'd struggled to put it together because it wasn't good enough. And, um, and, uh, can't think of anything else. <laughs> can't have mattered that much, can it? Apparently I wasn't bad for a girl. Though in later years I'm not sure he even classed me as a girl. He subscribed to Barbara from the Good Life's theory. Uh, that there are three genders, male, female, and Barbara's. <laughs> we argued and squabbled a lot. I could never win, we've heard that before, haven't we? <laughs> With words or brute force, he all, was always right, and annoyingly, he usually was. If I wanted to play, it had to be his games, and you guessed it, they weren't girly games. He was always pulling things to pieces or putting them together. There was a go-kart. The wheels were ball races rejected by Dad's engineering works. They made an awful noise on the tarmac, but boy did they go. Bikes were taken apart and reassembled. 
and even if there were a few nuts and bolts left over, they still seemed to work. I think his skills improved as he moved on to his next passion, cars. Not quite so many bits left over. <laughs> they were driven hard, sold, swapped, loved, you name it. Mischief and adventures? Well, mild by comparison of kids today, I suppose. From the crossbar of a push bike, the pillion of a motorbike, and hairy car rides. The only time I saw him worried about me was when we came off his motorbike in the ice and we <laughs> sat in the middle of the Kidderminster Road in Bridgenorth. I laughed so much, I think he thought I'd lost the plot. <laughs> I think really he was more afraid of having to take me home to Mum and what she'd say if he took me home broken. <laughs> I guess I always trusted him. He stuck up for me, sometimes. We seldom told on each other unless we felt spiteful or aggrieved. We apparently had the same attitude to school, even though he was the only one of the family that got through to the grammar school, do just enough to get by. But he was foolish enough to leave evidence. The family found all his school reports last week. <laughs> he obviously wasn't teacher's pet except in practical subjects like woodwork and metalwork. And then there were the girls. I got tired of slightly older girls trying to make friends, being friends with me in order to get Brian's attention. They needn't have bothered. He chose his wife all by himself. I love Anne dearly, but there was a time when I hated her. I thought she'd taken my place in his affections. So I got married myself. <laughs> as Rebecca and Tom are the same age as our eldest two children, we spent time together as they grew up. Jane and Tim loved their uncle uh, Brian, but they knew better than get on his wrong side, especially regarding noise if he was seeing patients downstairs. When a few years ago Brian encouraged me to get involved with him and a programme for food intolerance testing, I did wonder if we'd managed to work together without arguing, but there was no questioning his knowledge and ability in his profession. I was happy to listen and learn for once. The only arguments were when I wanted to throw the computer out of the window in frustration, and he insisted I could master it, just get on with it. We are grateful for being part of a loving family, for parents who taught us to love and respect, and most of all, who taught us to love and trust our Heavenly Father. Brian was confident that this is not the end. And as my granddaughter said of their papa, he is now P-I-H, partying in heaven. <laughs> and Barbara, speaking as uh, sisters of Brian, and... Uh, Thinking about families reminds me that Brian and I used to talk about our families quite a lot, particularly the way children are brought up these days. I'll leave it to you to imagine how the conversation went, but suffice it to say that Brian held some pretty strong views on the topic. Fittingly, our next tribute is from son Tom, who's going to share some memories which he and sisters Rebecca and Candace recall about Brian 
their dad. Tom. Well, I haven't looked back yet. There's a lot of us here, isn't there? And I think he would say, what a fuss. <laughs> and I think he'd also say, in a slightly dry way, it seems a shame that you have to die to find out how much people appreciate you. <laughs> so thank you all for coming. It, it is truly amazing. Thank you. As youngsters, Rebecca, Kendacy and I have many memories of Dad. Most of these memories, I hasten to add, are about him trying to tame us as children. Rebecca remembers an issue with macaroni cheese. I think we've all had issues with macaroni cheese. <laughs> she was having trouble forcing it down. This seemed to irritate Dad somewhat. So she spent the next few hours banished to the bathroom until the macaroni was eaten. With hindsight, we do wonder whether that sticky macaroni was eaten or flushed. <laughs> Kandesi, creative with her facial expressions, she's smiling at me now, <laughs> um, made a bit of a face at some spinach. Um, she was banished to her room until the spinach was eaten. Eating has never really been a problem for me. I managed to eat most things. Um, but I do remember one issue um, we had. It was one of the very few occasions I remember actually doing any homework and struggling with it. And um, Candace, bless her, was flicking the light on and off. Well, you can imagine how, what happened. I felt this was retribution for a good beating. So the fight began. Naturally, I was winning. And I can only imagine I must have said something like, that'll teach you. Because the next thing I remember is being airborne. <laughs> with a powerful square hand under my backside. And the words, I'm the only one who teaches lessons around here. <laughs> so su suffice it to say, there was no more flick switch flicking done that day, or fighting. But you'd be glad to know that he mellowed, and uh, to see him with his grandchildren is wonderful. There was one thing Dad didn't, his passion didn't die for, though, that was speed. We've, had it, we've heard about his cars and so forth, but the list of his cars is very long. Uh, and as children, we always look forward to the next set of wheels. And then, with subsequent additions, to make the thing go faster. And some of the additions were even legal. <laughs> Henrik Kalina, who's here, recalls, uh, uh, sent us a lovely letter recalling um, a journey that uh, happened to him. And I quote, one, one memory I shall always remember of Brian is travelling down to the AECC um, to, to the, some of the first SOT seminars. I remember he had a 2.8 Capri at the time. I used to strap myself into the passenger seat, brace myself from head to foot, and hold on and enjoy the ride. I think it was before the days of speed cameras. Dad told me that many years ago, he used to go and collect Auntie Ella, a good distance away. 
As the journey progressed, Auntie Ella would regularly ask what speed they were doing. Dad, not wanting to confess the actual speed, would vaguely point in the direction of the tachometer. The needle points you at a three or a four or something. However, Auntie wasn't really satisfied with this answer, kept asking. So eventually, Dad picked up um, courage and asked if the speed bothered Auntie Ella. She said, oh no dear, I love it. And I think you aim the car rather well. <laughs> he told me once that he, he was offered a drive by the John Cooper racing team. Um, I think he told Simon that too. Um, I think he might have been bragging. However, he went off to chiropractic college, aiming in a different direction. Now, Dad... He was never against considering unconventional approaches to solving problems. One such incident that comes to mind was when he had a shed. Now, this shed was nothing compared to his current shed, as you've heard. But it was still a good, very worthy shed. Um, seven to eight metres long, by recollection, two to three metres wide, a big shed. Now, this shed was apparently in the wrong place. So, a move down the long garden was in order. He coerced members of the church and friends to come round one Saturday afternoon. Scaffolding planks were laid, rollers were got out, a rope was tied to the back of the Range Rover, as you can imagine, yes. And this is probably the Range Rover with the bigger engine in. The huge shed was then wheeled, pushed and pulled down the garden to its new home. Typically though, this seemed to, it seemed to Dad there was no point emptying the shed because you only have to move the stuff as well. <laughs> so that was inside it as also. But I can tell you it was a very, very fun day. Now, Dad was never happier than he was making, making things, as we've heard again. So, sorry, excuse me a second. Oh yeah, mostly they were useful, sometimes aesthetically pleasing, and occasionally unfathomable, but always over-engineered. <laughs> Big and heavy. Over the period of a few weeks, he made a twin-axle trailer for transporting X-ray machines, cars, other big bulky items. The trailer was made in the garage, um, and the day of launch came, only to find that the trailer was too wide to get out of the blooming garage. <laughs> so there was a bit of scratching of heads and uh, looking around, and there's a photo somewhere at home of this trailer at 45 degrees coming out of the garage. <laughs> ropes and blocks and tackle and people and all sorts of things. Quite an achievement. He was a man of great generosity. We've heard all this, I know, and I'm sorry if it's boring you, but, it, you know, it's important. Um, and, he, and you've heard about his skills in, the, in most fields of engineering, but especially cars. People often brought their cars around to have them looked at. One occasion, even the local Datsun dealer bought a car around for him to sort out because his engineers couldn't sort out the twin carburation. So you can imagine how much he relished that. <laughs> and I also remember vividly uh, a friend of Dad's coming round on one Saturday afternoon uh, with his car. It had just been for a service, but it wasn't working quite as it should be. A very short test drive revealed the clutch was shot. So, the owner of the car was dispatched to the local motor factors to buy a new clutch. Dad stayed up all night installing that clutch so they could then go next day with their caravan around Europe. 
It's been a privilege and a joy to have worked with my dad for 17 years. We had occasionally talked about the R word, retirement. We loved his work and he loved the the team in the clinic. So he never really, I don't think he ever really considered retirement. Whether it was the uh, constant ribbing and teasing that Simon and I gave him and, and Patsy there and Pat and the other members of our team, I don't know. But he decided to stay. Um, it also meant that he could drink coffee and eat the odd bit of chocolate without getting in trouble from my mother. <laughs> as, I, as I'm sure that you'll all be aware that this hasn't been a great couple of weeks for the clinic team, but he would have been very, very proud of our people on our team, they've been amazing and uh, I am too and thank you for those that are here it has been said that without a successor there is no success I believe this means unless you are empowering others to carry on what you started then you may not truly fulfilled your life's potential as we've heard dad was skillful, kind, respected a man of integrity and truth While, like many others, he had many foibles, sometimes funny, sometimes scary. He has been a great influence on numerous people and in many spheres of life, enabling them to be true successors. I do believe he achieved this. We've been taken through many different uh, facets and phases of Brian's life. We've been given many insights this morning. We've been shown a man of very many parts. A life well lived and a life well loved. A man with a strong faith in God. A man who touched many people's lives. We all feel privileged in one way or another to have known him and for all that made him the special man that he was. And so we join with Anne, his children, Rebecca, Tom and Kandesi, and his eight grandchildren in thanking God for Brian. But to close, Anne has asked me to read her thoughts on what she's entitled, Brian at Home. And Anne writes, It's said that an Englishman's home is his castle. But if you could not find Brian there, he'd be in his shed. (laughs) In it he kept things, in case he could use them. He made useful and beautiful things of both wood and metal. He mended things when needed. His knowledge of how things worked, or can be made to work, was far-reaching. For relaxing in the home, we have a music system like no other. Music from the lounge is piped into the kitchen and conservatory. The speakers in the lounge are big, the best in the world. Brian would have his computer on hand 
and his feet up by the fire. Brian always had a great thirst for knowledge and understanding in every subject imaginable. Sometime it almost appeared to be an authority in each of them, always prepared to enter into discussion with family and friends. He was also aware of his frailty and need of his maker every day. At the end of the day, he would be found in the kitchen with his Bible open before him, seeking to have that close relationship with his God and Saviour. Brown and I have been married for just over 50 years, and concludes, and experience much change in world affairs. But every day in our household has been a family day in some way. I am most grateful to God for my man.